Christ's mercy and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I stated at the beginning of the service, we are working our way through this theme of the story of the Bible in 16 verses. Today, we are at the quarter pole of our journey through God's plan of salvation, week number four. Let me give you just a really brief review of where we've been. The first week, we looked at creation. God made his perfect kingdom. Week two, we looked at God creating people to live in that kingdom, making them in his own image. Last week, we saw how the perfect kingdom of God was destroyed by sin, the darkest day in the history of mankind. But today, as we take a look at that very day, the day of the fall into sin, we see how God brightened that day with his promise of redemption. All right. I'm not going to have you shout them out because I know I'll probably get about 50 different answers. But how about with somebody that you're sitting close to, just share, if you have one, your favorite superhero. Your favorite hero that you have. You can just share with somebody next to you. It's okay. Trying to hear? Superman? We've got some Supermans? Spidermans? Maybe some Batmans? I don't know. I like the Flash myself. I don't know why. Okay. Doesn't it seem like in our culture today that there are more and more heroes being created all the time? And maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe it's this desire to think, boy, it would be great, wouldn't it, if there was somebody out there that could truly save the day? Isn't that the theme? Isn't that the theme of every superhero movie? People are in trouble. The world is in trouble. And someone with seemingly ordinary, a seemingly ordinary person has extraordinary powers. And then what happens? The hero arrives at just the right time to save the day. Hmm. Could it be? Could it be that all of those superhero movies, all of this idea that we want this hero to arise might actually be this desire that we have for a savior? even from our sin, recognizing that we need rescue, recognizing that we need someone who will sweep in and take our place and overcome the evil of this world. That's what God did all the way back in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 3.15, when he promised redemption in Jesus. Listen to God's report of what was going to happen after the fall into sin. Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. On the basis of that promise, the very first gospel promise of God, let's take a look today at redemption promised. After Adam and Eve had ruined God's perfect world with their sin, God didn't leave them on their own. And as we take a look at this verse, we get a couple explanations from God of what's going on in this world. First of all, it's an answer to why we experience conflict in this life. And secondly, God demonstrates to us the only, the only cure for our souls. Pronouns can be tricky. I don't mean to dredge up English class and bad memories from before you if you didn't enjoy your English class. But if you're not sure who the pronoun is referring to, it can cause you some difficulty. 
Genesis 3.15 contains eight, eight pronouns in that verse. So I thought maybe it would be a good idea just to walk through the verse together and see what each of those pronouns is standing in place of, right? Which noun they are taking the place of. I found this little graphic. I don't know if you like the graphic, but I like the little snakes up there and things. So uh, take a look with me. Let's just kind of walk through. Who's doing the speaking? Who's the I? It's God. God's doing the speaking. God says, I will put enmity between you, he's speaking to Satan, to the serpent, between you, Satan, and the woman, we'll talk about her in just a little bit, and between your, again, Satan's seed, offspring, and her, again, the woman's seed, and then this little word, he. He will bruise your head. The he, one special seed of the woman. You see the cross behind the word he represents the Messiah, the promised Savior. We'll talk a lot more about that as well. But he will bruise your Satan's head and you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. Hopefully just sort of walking through that passage gives you a, a little bit more clarity as you see, hear all of those pronouns and exactly who they represent. Did you notice the word right at the start of the passage? God says he's going to put enmity, enmity between Satan and the woman and between their offspring. Unless you're a lot different than me and some of you are pretty smart compared to me, you might not use the word enmity in your day-to-day -day vocabulary very often. That idea of enmity has this idea of discord, of Frustration, I suppose you could even say. And God places that between Satan and people and between the offspring of Satan and the offspring of the woman. This is exactly an explanation as to why what's going on in our world has been going on since the very beginning. There has been, since the fall into sin and always will be, conflict as Satan brings his temptations to this world. As those who follow the path of Satan, unbelievers, find conflict with God's people, his believers. And that conflict continues to, to, until today. There's ample evidence of this conflict almost right away in Scripture. Starting in Genesis chapter 4, you have the story of Cain. right? Cain and Abel. And the conflict between Cain, who didn't want to do what God wanted him to do, and Abel, who did, led Cain to commit the very first murder. And then God has to send a worldwide flood because the wickedness of human beings had come up, and God needed to preserve and protect the promise that he had made to Adam and Eve. And then even after the flood, it doesn't take very many generations, and we're right back at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, where people again are disobeying God and he confuses languages to scatter the people. Maybe we shouldn't be surprised today when we see conflict between believers and unbelievers, when we feel the sting of Satan's temptations in our own lives. Isn't there a temptation for us to wonder what God's doing? Why is my Christian life so hard, God? Why are there people unprovoked attacking Christian churches? Why do we become the target of hatred of so many people? I can take you right back to Genesis 3.15 to demonstrate why that happens. There is enmity. There is conflict between Satan and God's people. And there will be until Jesus comes again.
Do you remember these words of Jesus? If they hate you, Jesus said, keep in mind they hated me first. Those are not easy words to hear. We would just as soon have our Christian life be super easy, smooth sailing all the way to heaven. That's not the way God says it will be. There's enmity that exists between Satan and God's people, between the followers of Satan and God's people. So we've identified the enmity that happens between people. It's the answer to why bad things go on. But, but maybe an equally important question is this. Who is the woman that's being spoken of in Genesis chapter 3? You might know that there's some disagreement about this in Christian circles, but most people agree that the woman in context is Eve. She's the only woman that's on earth. She's the woman that's being spoken about here. It's the conflict that already was demonstrated at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil between Satan and Eve. And that would continue between the offspring of Satan, unbelievers, and Eve's offspring, believers. Well, here's the interesting thing. Cain was the very first child that God gave to Adam and Eve. And in the very first verse of Genesis, the Hebrew can be translated this way. I have brought forth a man, Yahweh. Now, some Bibles translate, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. That's a fine translation. But others, including Martin Luther himself, believed that Eve actually thought that Cain might be the son, this promised seed who was going to crush Satan's head. She thought she had perhaps brought forth the Messiah. The rest of Genesis chapter 4 tells us how wrong she was. Cain didn't crush Satan's head. He crushed his brother's head. But you get the idea. Eve understood what God was saying, that one particular seed, one of her descendants, one of her offspring was going to be special. And that one seed that was going to come from Eve was going to be the victory, the hero, the savior that we all need. Isn't it amazing that on the heels of the fall into sin, God promises to Adam and Eve that sin will not have the last word? That the destruction that that fall into sin caused to God's perfect world was not going to last forever? God promised that one seed, one descendant of Eve would take care of all of that. That he would come to destroy what the devil had done. To destroy the destruction that Satan himself had brought on God's creation. Maybe one more question about the pronouns and Who's being spoken of here? How do we know, you might ask, that the he, this one descendant, how do we know that that's Jesus? How do we know that this is the first gospel promise? Take a look at how John speaks of it in his first epistle. John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the seed of the woman that God promised. Maybe you've noticed, maybe it's not true in every single hero movie, but I've noticed in the hero movie that generally the people that superheroes tend to save are the nice people, 
the good people, the people that, can I put this in quotation marks, deserve to be saved, right? Maybe that makes it all the more interesting, God's pronouncement here in Genesis chapter 3. See, after announcing to the devil the consequences of his temptation of Adam and Eve, and on the heels of this promise that God made, we read before the consequences for Adam and Eve. Difficulty in childbearing. We read that Adam would work, toil, the sweat of his brow, weeds and thorns and thistles are what the ground was going to produce now. But here's the amazing part. What God said to Satan proves that the wages of Adam and Eve's sin was death. And yet what God was actually doing is in pronouncing judgment on Satan himself is commuting the sentence of Adam and Eve. Even though there were consequences for what they did, God had already exonerated them through the seed of the woman that was coming. We almost have to put this in our own terms to understand the significance of what God is saying. Imagine that you have a court date coming up this week. You know that you did what you're being accused of. The evidence is there. It's stacked against you. You have no hope. And yet you go to court and you hear these words from the judge. You're not guilty. You're free to go. That's exactly what God has done for you and for me and for all people through Jesus. Given us a not guilty verdict, it shows why Jesus is the only cure for our souls. One more thing I'd love to note about Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. If I take you back to the the hero movies, you know that, that every superhero has a nemesis, right? His arch enemy. And as you watch these superhero movies, you know that that while the the superhero is powerful, there's some power in his archenemy as well. And and it's almost as if they're equals, but maybe the superhero is just a little bit more powerful. Not in Genesis chapter 3. We see very clearly, very quickly, the imbalance of power. How much greater God is than Satan and his temptations has to do with the phrase, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Jesus would win the ultimate victory, crushing Satan's head by his death on the cross. But in the process, Satan would inflict damage. Jesus' heel would be bruised. He had to suffer and die, taking on the sins of the whole world, yours and mine. But in Colossians chapter 2, we just read that Jesus triumphed over them by the cross. The battle continues, though, doesn't it? Even though Satan's head is crushed, he continues to bring his temptations. You know how Peter wrote about it in 1 Peter chapter 5. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We know the frustration in our own lives, too, right? How often temptations get the better of us. How often we cave into the sins that we don't want to do that frustrate us every single day. How often we fail to live up to God's holy standard. That's where this promise of Jesus, this promise that Jesus was going to come to this world, fills our hearts with joy and peace because Satan has already lost. He's already been defeated by the life 
and death and resurrection of our Savior. Instead of death, we have life. Instead of sin, Jesus gives us his holiness and his righteousness. As we stand back and look at this very first gospel promise in Genesis 3.15, God wants to fill us with confidence as we live our lives in this world. No matter what attack Satan brings, sin will not win. It can't. Jesus has already defeated it. You can only marvel at the fact that God has said, you are not guilty. I am not guilty because Jesus has taken our place. There is one cure, one cure for sin. And God gave it to Adam and Eve way back in the Garden of Eden. And he carried it out in time. And that promise comes to you today and every single day. Jesus is your cure for sin. He is your sure hope of life now and forever. It's not just the best life now that Jesus wants to give you. Jesus didn't just come to, to right some wrongs that had happened. He came to redeem. He came to buy you back, to purchase you back for God, to restore you to God's kingdom. See, that's the overarching theme that runs through Scripture, this idea of redemption. How many times in Scripture do we see the faithlessness of God's people, the sin of God's people, and yet where is God? He's faithful to his promises. Again and again, redemption is there. It stays. It stays in the promise that Jesus was coming. For us, it's in the promise that Jesus has already come. Yes, the kingdom of God was ruined by the fall into sin, but through Jesus crushing Satan's head, God has restored that kingdom and restored us as people who live in that kingdom. Not just now, but forever. Listen to how the apostle, or Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. This grace was given us in Christ, Christ Jesus, before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought, to li brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's what you have, life, immortality, through this promise that the seed of the woman would crush Satan's head. Takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, sin brought conflict into the world, and that conflict continues today. We should not be surprised when we have battles, when we have discord, when there's frustration in living the Christian life. But take heart. It's not going to last forever. And Jesus says when those things come, look to him and to his promises. Number two, God did not let sin have the last word. He promised that the seed of the woman would restore his people. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He came into this world to live, to die, to rise again, to guarantee your victory now and forever. That's number three. Jesus' victory over Satan is the cure for our souls. The cure that lasts forever. Not just now, but for eternity. Your assurance from God that he demonstrated his own love for you in this. While you were still sinner, a sinner, Christ died for you. I'll take you back to the superheroes one last time. As nice as it might be to go to or watch a superhero movie, 
As much as we might marvel at the cinematic effects of what those superheroes can accomplish, isn't there one thing that every superhero movie has in common? When the movie's over, you know it wasn't real. Sorry, spoiler alert for those of you that thought it was, yeah. But not with Jesus. Not Jesus. Not the real hero that we all need. The real hero actually came to this world. He did demonstrate God's love by dying on the cross for us while we were still sinners. That's how Jesus saved the world. That's your assurance. That God's promise of redemption is good. It's real for you. That Jesus is truly the cure for souls. That our life is secure with him forever in heaven. Thanks be to God for his amazing grace in our Savior Jesus. Amen. Peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.